Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, coming to you the day after the New England Revolution's 2-1 road win over the Toronto Football Club, getting some retribution from the earlier matchup in Foxborough this year. Joining me today, as usual, is Sean Donahue. Sean, how are you doing? Good, man. It was the first weekend of the Premier League, and since Greg's not here, I'm allowed to talk about the Spurs, so I was very excited to see my Spurs get a 1-0 win over the best team in the league, Manchester City, even without Harry Kane. That was a uh, good opening to the Premier League season following a you know good result for the Revolution last night. Yeah, I knew that goal from Son. I'll let you talk about Spurs a little bit because Greg's not here. But that goal from Son, it was pretty nice. Uh, I saw some people saying on Twitter, maybe Turner would have saved it. I think so. But uh, it was still, still a good shot. And uh, congrats to your Spurs for, for at least getting their first win of the season, right? Yeah, I think, I think Turner might have saved that too, but uh, the question is, would Stefan have saved that if they had been starting him instead? That's the real question. But but no, it was it was a uh, fantastic start to a season of which, you know, I, I don't I didn't know what to think going into this year with the you know new coach and Harry Kane not playing for the moment. Um, and we'll see whether he ever plays or Spurs again. But uh, that was quite the way to start to start the season. I was not expecting a win over Manchester City without Harry Kane. <laughs> it's a good it's a good six pointer for them. So. Anyway, we're talking uh, talking revolution, talking the win over uh, Toronto. Uh, Sean, I know you have a takeaway. What what do you got? Yeah, I mean, I've talked a lot on this show about how the benefits of a left-footed left back. I'm going to stop talking about that now, and I'm going to instead say yes. the hype around Dewan Jones uh, is deserved. He was phenomenal this game. He's been phenomenal in a lot of games in a row now. Um, but it's just crazy, kind of going and looking at where his stats have ended up at this point in the season. Cause I don't think people are really realizing, you know, he's, he's second on the team in assists with four. Um, and those are all primary assists too. So those, those are assists that will count in any league in the world. So those are four real assists. Um, and, and, you know, and on top of that, you know, his passing percentage, 79%, you know, I, you know, get on Brandon by sometimes for his low passing percentage. That hasn't been the case with Dewan Jones. Um, you know, he's third overall for the Revs in total passes per game at 46.2. So he's been extremely involved um, in every match. And he's actually third on the Revolution in key passes per game with 1.3. Um, it's Carles Heel at 5.1, which is, you know, as we've talked about, by far the best in the league. Nobody's competing with that. Gustavo Bo at 1.8. And then right behind him, Dewan Jones, the left back at 1.3. Uh, an article recently came out that had Gustavo Bo in one of the top five creators in the league, along with Carles Hill. Dewan Jones isn't that far behind him. Um, so that, to me, is pretty incredible. And in this game, he had four chances created. He got the assist on Tejan Buchanan's goal, but he had four chances created in the first half. Um, so to get that kind of protection at your left back, you know, it, it, for me, it takes away any thought of, oh, my God, the Revs need a left-footed left back. They don't. Dewan Jones is, has found a way to get it done. Um, and his left foot has gotten better, but we, you know, the assist in this game was on his right foot. But you know, he still got an amazing cross off to Tejan Buchanan, who scored that goal. Uh, but defensively, he's been really, really good as well. He's doing just about everything for the Revs. He's actually leading the Revs in tackles with 2.2 per game as well. Um, he's leading the Revs in interceptions with 1.8, and you know, he's not committing many fouls either. He's at you know, 0.7 um, compared to again, you know, not to. You know, take away from anybody else, but you know Christian Mafla in the games he's played committed 2.5 fouls a game, 
Dewan Jones is playing a lot cleaner. He's only committed 0.7. Um, so he's just doing just about everything really, really well. And he's gotten a lot of credit in the past week. And, you know, from out the, throughout the league, I think there was an article about 11 players that were you know, not necessarily getting the credit they deserved. And Polster and Dewan Jones were on it. Um, but, you know, he followed up that with an extremely good performance. And it, to me, it kind of surprised me going and looking at the stats and seeing where he is at the season, you know, leading the revs in a lot of defensive categories and doing really well in a lot of offensive categories as well. He's been an extremely good player for the revolution. I know, um, you know, we, we were a little bit surprised by some of the European interests, but it's, it's starting to make a lot more sense to me. Yeah, you know, when we were putting together the show notes and you told me that Dewan Jones is what you wanted to talk about, it got me really excited and you really delivered. I loved all the stats that you just rattled off. And you look at this Revolution team and the trio up top, the DPs, that gets a lot of attention around the league. Uh, and, you know, for, for good reason, of course. And then you have Tejan Buchanan, who's getting a lot more recognition maybe than anyone else on the roster right now. And again, for good reason. But Dewan Jones has really quietly flown under the radar and been maybe one of the Revolution's uh, more valuable players. I'm not going to say most because that belongs to Carly Seal. I think we all know that one of their more valuable players and it really has gone somewhat unnoticed uh, until maybe the last couple weeks he's put together some great performances last week against philadelphia he had 107 touches i think the number was uh last night in toronto uh he put together 70 touches which is still a huge number to put out i don't know how he got over 100 touches uh last week he did i think he got mls uh team of the week as well uh against philly I wouldn't be surprised to see him on it again. Uh, Dewan Jones has been delivering. I'm so happy that you brought that up. Uh, jumping into what I've, what I've noticed, what my key takeaway is for tonight, I'm looking at the Revs and saying, hey, in spite of injuries, in spite of the Carles heels and now, unfortunately, the Matt Polsters, the Revs have remained competitive. And maybe it was in a more scrappy way. You know, they're not necessarily playing very beautiful football overall right now. But they're remaining competitive, and they're still grinding out wins. Carlos Hill has now missed three games. The Revolution drew, and then they have won back-to-back uh, -back matches. Like, both those matches were, again, one-goal one uh, margins, which seems to be... Actually, was it two goals last night or one? I'm going crazy. It was two. It was but two to one, yeah. <laughs> so Toronto scored as well. Yeah, so it was another one-goal margin, which, again, I harped on it a bit last week. I'm not going to harp on it too much this week. But that seems to be what what they've been performing all season long. And if you're looking at the score lines, not too much has changed, despite the fact that uh, some valuable players have got, have really, you know, gone injured and, and they're, they're missing from the lineup. And it's noticeable when you watch the product, but it's not necessarily noticeable uh, on the scoreboard. And that's what matters. I completely agree. They found ways to win without Carly's heel. Uh, let's be honest. I think I still very much believe if Carly's heel were to be out for the playoffs, and I don't think that's going to be the case. I think it's going to be back relatively soon. But if you were to be out for the playoffs, I, I would not consider the Revolution a contender, despite what they've done the past three games and, and grinding out results. Um, but what they have done is extremely impressive. They've kept themselves very much in the front forefront of the supporters' shield. Um, you know, they're very much the leaders for that right now. And it's because they've played, you know, they've gotten two wins and a draw without Carly's heel. At the same time, you know, realistically, if you look at those three games, they haven't been dominant. Uh, Nashville wanted a draw in New England. They got a draw in New England. So I, I, I think that's a game you probably can't take too much out of. Mm -hmm. um, and then they played a Philadelphia team that we discussed, you know, played a very young roster. 
again, you can only beat who's put in front of you. The Revs won that game. That was you know a good win for the Revolution. And then you know Toronto is as a team that's struggling. They they change coaches. They've got a 500 record. I think we talked about we looked before. They're two two and four um, since changing coaches. And uh, you know you look at who was out for this game. And Toronto has three strikers that have you know pretty good goal scoring records. And Josie Altador, who everybody knows about, Akinola, who was very good when Josie was out last year, and then Dom Dwyer. And all of them were out for this game. So it was a, a weakened Toronto team and a Toronto team that's been struggling. Again, not to take away from the Revs, you can only beat who's put in front of you. But I, I, I would go and I would say it's very good what the Revolution have done these last three games. But I've seen some people kind of go over the top and, and start to even say the Revs you know, might still be a contender without Carlos Hill. I'm not ready to say that. Yeah, I agree with you. that They would not be a contender if Carlos Hill is not on this pitch. He he makes the team what, what they are, and he gives the revolution an identity. Uh, you know, talking about Toronto, you mentioned that they have three strikers uh, that did not play. Yeah, of course, yeah, that includes Ayo Akinola, Josie Altador, um, and I, I'm I'm blanking on the third guy, Dom Dwyer. Yeah, Dom Dwyer also not playing. Um, and thankfully for Toronto, uh, in their in their shoes, they have a, a pretty uh, attacking uh, midfield with Osorio, Pozuelo, and then the league's best short shorts and Jefferson Soteldo. <laughs> uh, that that attacking trio right there behind the strikers uh, can still cause some teams uh, some teams some troubles. And of course, they did uh, at one point in the game last night uh, where Pozuelo did get to Osorio right in front of the box. Um, you know, no chance, no keeper in the world is saving that. So can't hang that one on Matt Turner. Uh, but again, like you mentioned, can only beat the team in front of you. I think the Revs have done very well, but it's going to be interesting to see how this team performs, especially if there is no pollster and no heel uh, in the weeks to come, especially up against um, maybe a bit more stiffer competition. One one guy I wanted to talk about really quickly because I don't think we have him on our notes, but you brought him up uh, was was Soteldo and how good he was. But the the guy I want to give credit to is Brandon By because there was a play where Soteldo beat Brandon By, you know, got behind him one on one. Brandon By took him down, fouled him, got hurt, and I'm like, you know, Brandon By now is is limping. He just got you know completely destroyed by Soteldo. This is going to be a very difficult, you know, last, I forget exactly when it was, but, you know, last 20, 30 minutes of this game um, with a, a hobbled Brandon by, and we already saw him got beat way before that injury happened. But, you know, to Brandon Bry's credit, that was really the last time he got beat by Zatel, though. And I don't think it was just Brandon by. I think Andrew Farrell helps him out a lot. I think there was a lot of team defending there, but they really stepped it up after that play because I, I, I thought the revolution were going to concede you know, just based on what happened there, I, th- I thought that was going to keep happening the rest of the game. And Brandon Bayo was in for kind of a, a long night um, because I do think he got a little bit hurt on that play. I don't think he was 100 percent after that. Um, but credit to the revolution. Uh, Brandon Bayo did a great job. And I think Andrew Farrell did a, a great job of providing him help defense uh, to, to shut down Zatel, though, the rest of that game. Yeah. I mean, on the topic of the defense, too, let's talk real quick, if we can, about maybe the, the Kessler and Farrell partnership. In my opinion, they seem to be regaining some of that 2020 form. Maybe, Sean, I don't know if you're seeing the same type of performances, but the last few weeks, they've been kind of playing off each other a little bit. They have been, while one of them is maybe pushing up a little bit higher in the attack, the other one's dropping back. You know, Andrew Farrell, of course, he's still making his acrobatic, uh, you know, more highlight reel uh, plays on the back, which always kind of gives you a little bit of a heart attack when you see those happen. But he seems to do them somewhat uh, confidently and somewhat consistently. Andrew Farrell and Henry Kessler, 
I've been saying all season long that's my my backline pairing. They seem to be doing better. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Sean? Yeah, I completely agree. And one of my takeaways after this game was, you know, you can't question many of the decisions that Bruce Arena has made this year. But one I continued to question is why he sat Henry Kessler for an extended stretch for John Bell, because I thought Henry Kessler had a really, really good game. Um, I thought he was one of the stars of this match. Dewan Jones was my man of the match, but Henry Kessler, I think, deserves some a lot of plaudits too. Um, his positioning was fantastic. There were a lot of good Toronto attacks where he was in the right place at the right time and cut out you know, what could have been really dangerous passes. I noticed that time and time again in this one. Um, and, and I agree, him and Farrell have kind of found that chemistry that they had before that I think they would have found sooner if Bruce Arena hadn't benched Henry Kessler, um, if I'm being honest. Uh, but the two of them it looked really good and it looked like that 2020 form and maybe even a little bit better. You know, are they perfect? No, I think Andrew Farrell still makes some mistakes. I think there was a, you know, a couple of plays in here where Andrew Farrell could have been a little bit better. Um, but they're good enough and they've gotten a lot better and the chemistry is getting better. And I think they improve every game. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. They've, they've played a lot better together. And my, you know, my only thought from that is I just wish Bruce arena had given them more of a chance, you know, in that period where there was you know, several games in a row where John Bell started over Henry Kessler. And again, it's not a knock on John Bell. I think John Bell has been a great addition to this revolution team, but Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell are your starting center backs. Yeah. It's a great point that you brought up that Kessler has been kind of pushed to the bench a little bit uh, earlier in the season in favor of John Bell, which as we all love to see John Bell's getting those minutes and he's learning and progressing as a professional. Uh, but we want to see Henry Kessler out there. He is probably the best center back on the team, in my opinion. Uh, again, no offense to, to the legend that is Andrew Farrell, who is now a confirmed legend, of course, um, <laughs> after the interview with, uh, with Brad Feldman in the middle of the week. But the, Henry Kessler needs to be on this pitch. And, you know, John Bell has been injured. And he's been out. He didn't make the trip to Toronto. He might be coming back within the next couple of weeks. What is Bruce going to do when, once John Bell is back in the lineup and back uh, available to be in the selection? Is, is John Bell going to be over Kessler again? I don't think that's going to happen. I hope that doesn't happen. But I guess it's something that we need to keep our eyes on. Well, and you, you make a great point is that John Bell does need minutes to get better. Um, he's a young, he's a young defender, but Henry Kessler needs minutes too. Henry Kessler still has, a, yeah. you know, he's been really good, but he's, he's very young too and still has a lot of room to, for growth. So he needs to be getting those minutes. And like I said, I think, I, like you said, I think Kessler is the Rev's best center back or has the potential to be the Rev's center back, best Rev, Rev, best Rev center back, but he needs to be playing to continue to get better um, just like John Bell does. Uh, but at the same time, the revolution are playing to win now. So they got John Bell's minutes. Um, I think, as a rotational piece, they'll get John Bell more minutes. But, you know, on a consistent basis, when rest isn't an issue, it's got to be Kessler and Farrell starting every game. When, you know, when there's a week between games, it's got to be the two of them. Yep, 100%. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to address this sooner or later. Uh, of course, we're talking about Matt Polster. I know Jennifer asked about this over on Twitter. How's Matt Polster doing? What's going on? Uh, some of these questions might have come in before some recent information has come out over on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, which I guess, I guess it looks like, you know, we're getting most of our injury news now from Instagram, as you noted, Sean. Uh, but Matt Poster uh, tweeted out, he says he, uh, everything seems to be okay, I guess. Nothing too serious, at least, was the quote from Matt Poster. Uh, but I know, Sean, we discussed a lot last week in response to a question from Tom Quinlan. And we, we, we went through what does this team look like without... Matt Polster, if he's the one not there, because of course Matt Polster left uh, at halftime against Philadelphia, and we saw what the team 
looked like, and it was a very different team. And it was a very notable performance once you took Matt Polster out of the roster. And, of course, that happened again uh, last night. Unfortunately, this time it was uh, due to injury. Thankfully, again, not too serious. But do you have a take, Sean, as far as what this midfield would look like without Helam Polster? Uh, or do you have any concerns about what the Revs uh, are going to do going forward? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it was great to hear him say nothing serious today because it, it looked serious. Um, yeah. So, you know, hopefully take him out of his word into something serious. N- nothing serious doesn't mean he couldn't miss a couple of games, though. Um, right. You know, I, I would be kind of surprised if he came back from that and played on Wednesday, um, at least. So we'll see. Um, and, you know, as as we've talked about before, Bruce Arena has not been very forthcoming about injury statuses this season. I actually asked him about Matt Polster after the game. Um, and he said there was no update. They'd know more when they got into Boston, but then also went out of his way to say, please don't be asking questions every day this week about the injury. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but you know, if, if you're not going to give us updates and he, and he went on to say like they would give us updates, they didn't give us updates on Carly's heel. We know Carly's heel is in Spain because, <laughs> because Seth McComber found it on Instagram, um, that, that it was, uh, that it was, you know, getting rehabbed in Spain. Um, we wouldn't have found out about that otherwise. So no, we can't count on the Rebels to give us updates because they've have a history of not giving us updates under Bruce Arena on injuries. Uh, thanks to Carly's heel. So, uh, with all that aside, <laughs> what are the revolution going to look like without Matt Polster? I think we saw a little bit of it the last game and, and, my opinion, and I, I'm sticking with this, I think Scott Caldwell is the best straight replacement for Matt Polster as far as defensive organizational skills. And I think that's who they should go with. Um, with that said, I don't think that's who they're going to go with. I think we're going to see some combination of Captoon, Masial, and McNamara, um, depending on the game. And in this game, it was McNamara that came on uh, when Polster went down injured. And, you know, he played pretty well. I, I like McNamara more when he can have, you know, more of a two-way role and has less defensive responsibilities. I mean, he can play defense, but I think he's he's not as consistent and as strong as a defender as Matt Polster. Um, and I think I think that the same goes for all of those options. I think Captoom and Maciel, you know, are very good players, but aren't as consistent and strong defensively as Matt Polster. So no matter you know who, what combination of those guys you you go with, I think you're losing a little bit as far as you know what Matt Polster is able to do, the ground he's able to cover, and the defense he's able to play. So I do think the Revs look a bit different without Matt Polster. And maybe you have to make up for that by, you know, doing a little better offensively than the revolution did in this game, because they didn't create a lot of chances in this game, despite the fact they scored two goals. Um, So yeah, it it is, if he's out for a few games, that is concerning. I think he's, you know, the revolution have a lot of central midfielders, but none of them play the way Matt Polster plays or, you know, can do what he does. Uh, Again, I think Scott Caldwell is the, the best approximation of what Matt Polster does. He's not, you know, the same player in, probably doesn't cover as much ground at this point in his career. Um, and we haven't seen him start a game under Bruce Arena this season, so I don't think that's what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, one weird thing to note in this game is that late in the game, uh, recently we've seen a lot of Scott Caldwell coming on to help close out victories, but he didn't come into this game. Instead, it was Captoom and A.J. De La Garza both came in late, and A.J. De La Garza actually seemed to be playing as kind of a number six. Um, that was interesting. I, we know he's a versatile player. You know, he's looked good at fullback. He looked okay at center back. Um, he was brought in to play across the back line. I didn't think he was brought in to play as a number six. Um, it was, it was only a few minutes, so I wouldn't read too much into that, but, uh, I, I would be surprised if, if that was where Bruce went, if he decided to play AJ De La Garza as a six, a couple games. Um, but I, I, I do think it's going to be a combination of Captoom, Maciel. Um, and in a short week, I think we might see Wednesday, it might be, you know, 
Captoom McNamara starting because those guys didn't start this game and giving Masiala rest. But I, I could see it go anyway. But it's those three players that are going to be the combination of the central midfielders with Polster out. Uh, if he misses any time, maybe he won't miss any time. I would be surprised if he didn't miss Wednesday. Okay, yeah. So a lot of questions did come in about Matt Polster. We're going to get to those in the listener questions section. Uh, before that, I want to talk real quick about the attack. Tejan Buchanan gets the goals started for the Revs. Uh, it was a great cross by Dewan. I'm not sure it was intended for Tejan, but regardless, Tejan, you know, in his hometown or in his backyard uh, in Ontario, there gets the goal in front of a lot of fe- uh, friends and family. You know, great for him. Uh, but I also wanted to mention, I think Buxa and Bo uh, are continuing to produce as a tandem. Of course, the stat sheet maybe is not going to show so much that there was shots on target. There was two shots on target. Both of them went in. One was a penalty kick. The other was Tejan Buchanan's header. Uh, so maybe not a lot of shots, but the tandem, they seem to be gelling much better than what they had been earlier this season. And, you know, in a lot of 2020, when it was hard to see um, the two of them really getting on the same page. Uh, do you think that maybe that we're seeing what the production output ceiling is could be of this duo? Or, Sean, do you think maybe that there's a lot more to come? That, can they get better? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the combination of the two of them has gotten better and better as the season's gone on. There's no question about it. Yeah, the, the, When you talk about a ceiling, the the one thing that I think says the ceiling could be higher is what we've talked about all year is I still don't think Books is finishing as, as good as it could be. Um, and I think that's the one thing bringing down the ceiling of the two of them. But they're, they're playing really well together. Uh, Books had six aerial duels, one in this game. Um, one thing that's concerning to me is he, I think it was Omar Gonzalez, um, gave him an elbow to the head in this one. I think it was Gonzalez. I might be, might, might be, I might be getting the wrong person on that one. It might've actually, um, been Delgado now that I think about it. Um, but I feel like that's happened a few games now. So that's something that's worrying me a little bit is I know there was a few games ago where there was questions of whether or not he could have got a concussion. Fortunately cleared it, but he got hit again in the head in this game. So he's, he's really putting his body on the line, um, winning a lot of headers and, and suffering a bit for it. Um, you know, and you, you you go back and think of a guy like Taylor Twelman and, and the effort he put in and, and how much he put his body on the line. We're seeing more of that from Adam Buxa lately, where he's really thrown his body um, into difficult challenges. So I, I've been impressed with what he's been doing. Um, and I think the two of them have combined really well. You know, one knock is Gustavo Bo only passed at 61% accuracy in this game. Buxa was only 67% accuracy. Um, those aren't great numbers, but Overall, I thought the two of them combined really well together. And my my only knock and my one thing that I think can improve their ceiling is if Buxa um, continues to improve on his finishing. Yeah, that's 100%. And again, I touched on that a lot last week, mentioning if this team was not producing or in other positions outside of Buxa, the, the outlook on his performance so far this year would be very different. And uh, the response to how well he's been playing off the ball would be very different because as a striker, you got to be putting the ball in the net, which he has been doing, but obviously not quite enough. Uh, before we jump into the listener questions, I want to take a minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Galasso Kits. Galasso Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to galassokits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP that's Revs Recap at checkout for 15% off your order at Galasso Kits. And if you follow Galasso Kits over on Instagram, you might already know they frequently are getting new inventory in stock and share all their gear in their stories. And maybe you're an Arsenal fan and need a quick pick-me-up after the start of the season. Galasso <laughs> Kits has got you covered. 
They've got plenty of gear available. Or maybe you're a messy fan and you don't want to look like you're just following Parent St. Germain for the first time. Go get your PSG kits now and don't forget to save 15% with code REVSRECAP at checkout. Again, that code is REVSRECAP, 15% off your order at ColossalKits.com. Order today. Big thank you to Glossal Kits for continuing to sponsor this podcast. Now, let's get to some of your questions. First question that we have is coming over from Discord. I have Macho TM. Macho says, on a scale from minor to fatal, how big was your weekly Revs-related heart attack? And I'm going to say, for me, I watched this game on a bit of a delay, so it was it was kind of big because I knew something was coming. I didn't quite know exactly what was happening uh, until we got to about the 53rd minute or so. It, I had a pretty big heart attack there. I was like, oh, we can't lose Pulitzer. I have went on about it all week, or not all week, but in the pod last week, I talked about it a lot, saying Pulitzer is probably the biggest piece the most integral piece on this roster that can't really afford to lose time in the short term. Uh, long term, of course, we're talking Carly's heel. Short term, we need to make sure that uh, that poster's there. It's okay to miss heel for a couple of weeks, but poster it needs to be there every single week. Uh, I don't know if you had a different, excuse me, I don't know if you had a different take on that, Sean. No, I mean, if, if you saw that injury, and I, I, I think Cody, yeah. Cody Hall asked about the seriousness of it. We can probably cover that now too. Yeah. Um, you know, when I first saw it, I thought it looked pretty serious. I mean, it could have been an ACL tear, which could have seen him out until some point next season, um, and that would have been a huge blow for the Revolution. You know, fortunately, he says it's nothing serious, so we take him at his word, and you know, he might miss a couple games, but should be back soon. That's that's big news for the Revs. But at the time, yeah, it was. Some, somewhere in the middle of, of minor to fatal because he's been a big part of this Revolution team. And we talk about the Revolution defense performing better. I, I don't know if they keep looking as good as they've looked if Matt Polster's not out there in front of them to break up as many plays as he's been breaking up. Um, he's He's been a huge part of the team. There's been a lot of talk about him being underrated. So much talk that maybe he's not underrated anymore. Uh, he's actually getting the attention he deserves. Um, but, you know, he's he's not a guy the Revolution can afford to lose. We talked about it earlier. They have a lot of center midfielders, but none of them can really do what Matt Polster does. Yeah, I 100% agree. And then uh, David Sabillan over on Twitter also wanted to know if Polster is out for an extended period of time. Who plays defensive midfield and the trickle-down effect to the rest of the roster? I know we touched on this earlier. Uh, Sean, you're lobbying. You're making your case for Scott Caldwell, and I am 100% with you. I think Scott Caldwell should be out there, and uh, I also agree that uh, Bruce Arena is not going to do that. Now, part of me is wondering, is was AJD run out? for a few minutes just to get a look and see what his positioning would be in a game situation uh, as maybe Bruce wants to go with a player that he trusts and that he's known for a long time uh, instead of Scott Caldwell. I don't think Bruce trusts Scott Caldwell very much uh, as far as a a lone defensive midfielder. Uh, But I'm more curious about the second part of David's question here where he mentions the trickle-down effect to the rest of the roster. Sean, do you think that uh, is filling Polster's role hopefully in the, only in the short term, but is that going to be affecting other areas of the roster, pulling players from other positions uh, and maybe creating a hole somewhere else? I think it shouldn't. I mean, I think the revolution, as we've talked about, central midfield, at least numbers-wise, is one of their deeper positions. So I think, you know, they have guys that can fill in Again, not guys that can do what Matt Polster does, but guys that can fill in as central midfielders. And I don't think it's going to impact the rest of the roster much. I mean, we talked about even in this game where they brought on De La Garza, they brought on Captoom, and they still had Caldwell sitting on the bench as an option. So they have numbers. I don't think it's going to impact much. One thing we didn't talk about that kind of goes to this question is, you know, we've Chris, you and I in particular have talked a lot about this Rev, Rev's roster lacking height. 
Um, mm-hmm. When you take Matt Polster out, you know, he's six feet tall uh, and replace him with, you know, Scott Caldwell, who's five foot eight, or Masiello, I think is like five foot eight or five foot. You know, there are all the, all the essential midfielders we've talked about are, are, are small guys, except except for Polster for the most part. Um, I mean, AJ De La Garza, if you put him back there, you're really losing a lot of height. So it's, you know, that could be an issue. And in particularly on set pieces, um, I don't think height is what hurt the revolution on the set piece in this game where they gave up the goal, but that is a, a worrying thing for the revolution um, is the lack of height. And I think when you lose Matt Polster that you're inevitably probably going to lose some height in your midfield as well. Yep. I, I'm glad you brought that up. It's been a little bit of time since we've talked about the lack of height that Bruce signed in the offseason, uh, but I'm still upset about that. So uh, over on Twitter, Mike Kennedy wants to know, does Cap Toom start in Polster's role pairing with Massiel? Uh, we already know who we want, uh, but let's play with the idea. Does Cap Toom get that run out? What, what could uh, Cap Toom possibly see, Sean? Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one for me because we've seen Bruce rotate the central midfielders so much that I don't. I, I have trouble even making an educated guess on whether it's going to be Masiel and Captoon, whether it's going to be Masiel and McNamara, whether it's going to be Captoon and McNamara. Um, you know, whether all three of them get out there and you know trusts and goes to the bench, I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I think Captoon's probably going to get a start Wednesday. Um, if only for rotational purposes. I don't know if that would be the long-term solution if, if Polster's out long-term or if it would be Masiel and McNamara. Um, but I do think Captoom's going to start um, and we'll see what happens going, going forward. So I, I don't know. I, this, is, this is a tough one for me. I, I have a very difficult time predicting which way Bruce is going to go long-term, but it, it is a big opportunity for Captoom to step up. Um, he's had his moments for the Revs, but I think overall he's been underwhelming. Um, but if Polster's out, it's a big opportunity for him to finally prove that he belongs and deserves more minutes because he hasn't he hasn't proven it yet. And if we want to talk about our, our less than ideal uh, defensive midfield option as far as the players that are available on the roster, for me, I might be going with Tommy McNamara. Uh, the thing that scares me about Tommy Mack is that he has a, a bit of a habit of making some reckless challenges and you don't want to lose... Uh, defensive midfielder you don't want a player in that position to uh, they're going to be playing out, out of the six you're going to be getting into a lot of challenges and being put into a lot of risky spots Tommy Max the player is going to pick up some yellows maybe put him up there until he gets his first yellow hopefully it's not a straight red uh, but he, you know he's going to get a yellow once he's out there as soon as he gets that yellow maybe take him out and then throw in Scott Caldwell please uh, but I'd be okay with Cap Toom out there too I'd like to see what what Captoon could possibly do in defensive midfield role. I, the one thing I got to say about McNamara is I completely agree with you, and it shocks me every time you know we have this conversation about McNamara potentially getting a red card, and I go look at his stats, and he's never had a red card in his career, and I don't know how that's possible. And then we go back, and I forget which game it was, one or two games ago, where there were two different times where we thought he got a yellow card, and it turned out he didn't have a yellow card in either of them. I think he might be the luckiest man alive. <laughs> He is some sort of uh, a card wizard there. I, I, I didn't know that stat. I didn't realize that he's never had a red card. Uh, maybe it was the flowing locks for the long time or something that, I don't know, shielded him from get, ever getting a red. That's that's absurd to me that he's never had a red card. Uh, good for him, though. Good for him, especially with uh, with the way that he plays. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just bizarre. <laughs> 100%, yeah. Uh, we have we have a couple more to go on this uh, the poster and heel and the midfield issues. Uh, TSB eleven over on Discord. Which absence or potential absence he says is a bigger blow? Is it heel or is it poster? And of course we did talk about this quite a bit. I know I've mentioned it now a few times, but on last week's episode, uh, when the, when the question was brought up by 
Tom Quinlan, we mentioned it quite a bit, talked about Keeler Polster. I definitely said Polster as far as we're talking short term because I think there's little to no depth when it comes to players that can fill it in his role and and match the impact that Matt Polster is able to make. You see Matt Polster making runs up into the attack now every once in a while as well. Now that Heel's not there, Polster's kind of dropping up and getting in positions. He got his goal last week. Uh, I think Polster might be the biggest blow. Um, But if we're talking long-term, of course, you have to say Carly's Heel. I'm not going to change on on that one there. It it depends on the length of the absence for me uh, as far as which player I'm going to say. Hopefully, both these players are back very soon. Sean, who do you think? Uh, are you, is your stance still the same as last week? Or now knowing that we most likely will see time without heel and poster, to, has that changed at all? It's still the same for me. And again, like I said last week, I'm a big advocate of how important the number six is. And I've been saying for years that Shari Joseph was the most important player in Revolution history and the guy that you know could carry a team on his back. Um, but so it's it's difficult for me to say this because I I think Poster plays a you know, very underappreciated position um, that's very hard to replace. But Carlos Heel, you know, is the MVP candidate in the league for a reason. And there's nobody else in the Revolution. I said there's nobody else that can do what Poster can do. There's not. Um, but I think the drop off from from Heel to anybody else is even greater. And you're right, you lose a lot defensively when Poster's out. Um, I think the Revolution loses a lot with Poster out, but. Um, when Carly's heel is in, uh, the revolution have so much more offensively and have such so much more of an ability to break down tight defenses that, you know, I, I trust the revolution's ability to win a game three to two with Carly's heel, um, more than I trust them to win one to nothing with Matt Polster and Carly's heel out. If I, if that's how I'm looking at it. Uh, as a fair take, it's, we got one more question on this depth piece from Bobby Reverton over on Twitter. Who's the best shout from Revolution 2 to fill in the gaps if we need midfield depth? Uh, Sean, have you been watching much uh, Revs 2? Do you know any of the players over there? I've watched some. Um, I don't think any of them are better options than who the Revolution have on the roster right now. You know, one guy I've been impressed with is Ryan Spaulding, who's you know done a great job at fullback. That's not an area of need for the Revs right now. He's he's the one guy that I've kind of kept an eye on and thought so was good. Um, Jake Rosansky has done pretty good for the Revolution as a defensive midfield uh, player who's you know got a lot of creativity is one of the leading passers in the league. Um, another undersized five foot nine defensive midfielder, um, but I think he's been pretty impressive for the Revolution as the as their Revolution two as their captain in a lot of games. Um, so he's a guy I've been watching. But do I think he's ready to step up? And would I rather see him than you know Captain Masial or McNamara or even Scott Caldwell? No. Um, but you know, uh, really the guy that stood out to me in the Revolution. Two games I've watched is Ryan Spaulding at fullback. And if Dewan Jones gets sold overseas, I think he's a guy that could step up and, and play that role. Um, again, Dewan Jones has been so good that it would obviously be a drop-off, but that's one guy that stood out to me. Other than that, I think the Revolution have a pretty deep first-team roster, and we'll be relying on that more than bringing up anyone on Revolution 2. And then I, I got to quickly say Joe Rice, I think, might be the Revolution's second-best goalkeeper after Matt Turner. Um, mm-hmm. But again, we're not going to see him anytime soon for the Revolution first-team unless Matt Turner gets sold overseas. Oh, shout out Joe Rice. I love that. I love that quick shout out. For me, I haven't watched a whole lot of Revs 2 this season. I did watch quite a bit last year. I'm not sure if he's even still with the team because I haven't seen him necessarily in the, in the roster uh, starting 11 recently. But there's a guy, Tiago Mandanka, uh, and he's over six foot. And when I saw him play last year, I thought that he was a very solid piece to that midfield. I don't think he's specifically a defensive midfielder. Uh, I think he's more of a box-to-box type guy. I was always impressed with the way that Tiago Mendonca would play. 
the way that he would handle himself and compose himself with the with the ball at his feet. Uh, and he was someone that I thought was going to be coming up before Masio. Uh, and of course, that didn't transpire uh, like I was, you know, thinking at least to myself that that was going to happen. But Tiago Mendonca would be the shot that I have. And again, I have I have no idea if he's even with the Revs two right now. He's on their roster on the on the on the website, uh, but I don't know if that's even current. So uh, I can't I can't speak to that. I, I need to watch more Revs two games. Too, too many midweek uh, Revs first team games. Keep up with the Revs two games. <laughs> I say I can barely keep up right now with uh, with the current uh, first team games. So, uh, but that yeah, that's my take. Tiago Mendonca. Um, Jennifer over on Twitter, you know, she she mentioned earlier about uh, Polster hoping he was okay. Wants to know is there any detail on Carly's heel? And I uh, mentioned she's happy for the win. Hey, we're happy for the win too. You know, another three points. What's that? Forty three points in twenty games, something like that. That's uh, very impressive. And the revolution just keep on rolling. But as far as details on heel, all we have to go off right now is uh, is what Sean mentioned earlier. We know based on a, a an Instagram post that Seth Makehomer found. Uh, mentioned that Carly's heel is over in Spain right now and he's rehabbing with the same team that helped him through uh, his injury from last season. And that's all we really know. Uh, there's Otherwise, it's, you know, mum's the word over on the Revolution side. Unless, uh, Sean, I don't know if, if you have any other uh, hidden breaking news up your sleeve, but uh, that's that's all we really have. No, it's just it's crazy that that Bruce Arena does not want to answer questions about his injured players and gets so defensive about it and then says, we're going to give you an update when there is one. And then they don't give an update. And we find out on Instagram that he's rehabbing in Spain. So the revolution have been extremely secretive about injuries to Carly's heel this season. Um, You know. Good news, bad news is, you know, the good news is when he had the Achilles injury, they said it was going to take, I think, three to five months for him to come back. And he went and rehabbed in Spain and came back, I think, in two and a half months. So he really beat the timeline there. That, that's great news. The bad news is Bruce Arena said this was an insignificant injury. He wasn't expecting him to miss any time. And if he did, it would be really short. If it was an insignificant injury, he would not be in Spain rehabbing. So you know, we don't really have the details, but the revolution aren't telling us anything. Um, you know, you got to hope he's going to be back soon. Uh, but it's it's kind of frustrating that the again the league MVP candidate the leading candidate for the league MVP is out injured and you know we're piecing together what's wrong with him by looking at Instagram posts. Yep. And then, so moving on to the questions here we got uh, Anyrez UK also known as Mike over on Twitter. Uh, so he says with another game midweek, do you feel this could give us a full look at Bell Kessler center back partnership at all? Uh, that's a partnership that we haven't seen. Yet, and that's a partnership that a lot of people have been asking for. Uh, personally, do I think that's going to happen? Uh, I, I I hope not. I also, what's the status on John Bell? Uh, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be available to play? Uh, maybe. Well, I guess we'll see. Uh, but in my opinion, I, I hope that they just keep rolling with Farrell Kessler uh, until one of them really needs a break. Maybe Farrell needs a break. He's been playing a lot of minutes so far this season. Uh, but Sean, what's your what's your take? Is uh, is there going to be any chance we see Bell and Kessler? I don't think we're going to see it. Um, I would like to see it at some point. I do think Andrew Farrell needs a break, as you mentioned. Yeah, you know he he hasn't had a break. Um, and I think part of the reason Carlos Hill is injured is because Carlos Hill didn't get a break. Um, and those are really the two guys that you look at as you know the you know, guys that are more veterans on the roster. Um, you know, older players that haven't had a break really all season uh, caught up to Carly's heel. I think if, if, if Farrell never gets a break, it, knock on wood, hopefully it doesn't catch up to him, but it could. Um, so I, I would like to see Bell and Kessler play at some point. 
I don't think it's this game. I think, um, you know, if John Bell was ready to start on Wednesday, he probably would have been ready to be in the game day roster this weekend, and he wasn't. Um, so the fact that he wasn't in the game day roster makes me think we're, you know, we'll probably see him on the bench on Wednesday. He was taken off the injury report for the last game, um, which made me think he was going to be part of the game day roster. So I think we'll see him on the bench Wednesday. Uh, I don't think we'll see him start this game uh, just because what we've seen all season is, is Bruce hasn't felt the need to rest Andrew Farrell. But I do think at some point Andrew Farrell should get a game off. Um, I just don't think it's going to be Wednesday. Yep, agree with that. Uh, James Downing over on Twitter, making the most of his Twitter account. He's got three questions in for us. Uh, <laughs> we're going to run through them one, two, three. First one, is TFC a good team? I thought they were only bad because they had to play every home game, uh, in parent- or in quotes, in a neutral site thousands of miles from home. But I'm just not sure. Uh, Shaw, do you have a take on TFC being a good team? I'm not sure either. <laughs> they, they were a good team last year. Um, but we talked about this game, who they were missing. I think any team missing three strikers of that caliber uh, is going to have trouble scoring. Um, and they started off the season really poorly. I think Chris Armas was a really bad hire for them. He tried to force them to play a system they couldn't play. Um, and given their, you know, they have a roster that's a little bit on the older side, trying to play a pressing system, it didn't make sense. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they're a good team. They were last year. They were a good enough team last year. Um, so it's, it's a tough, it's a tough question. They've gotten older. Michael Bradley is not the player he used to be. Um, Josie Althor, we were, we were talking before the show, we're, we're surprised to find he's still only 31. So he, he should still have some years left in him. Um, but he's had trouble staying healthy. You know, it, it's, it's a tough question because Toronto was a good team for a, a decent period of time. And they were a good team, you know, pretty good team last year. Um, I don't know what they are this year, but I'm leaning towards the fact that they're, you know, they're, Despite they haven't, despite the fact they haven't played home games, they have a really bad um, record, and some of that's on Chris Armas. But they're only been a 500 team since they fired Chris Armas. I, I, I think they're a mediocre team. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised with Toronto's uh, form or lack thereof so far this season because last year, like you mentioned, they were a good team, and in years past, they were a very good team. Greg Vanny was so important to that club. And I don't think anyone realized how big of a piece uh, he was to the team until he left. Chris Armas, you expected him to come in and, and do good things. He's not necessarily a, a bad coach. He doesn't have a bad reputation for coaching in MLS specifically. Uh, yet, obviously, it didn't work out. I, you know, being fired halfway through your first season is not a good look. Uh, sorry, what's that? He's too stubborn in his tactics, I think, with, with stubborn. Chris Armas. Oh, yeah, 100%. He's, he's definitely a stubborn coach, but it it's still it's not a good look for for Chris Armas being fired in the in this first season. And when you look at the the production of Toronto's team, uh, so I, I'm not really sure. I think there's a lot of coaching issues, a lot of maybe front office issues going on right now with Toronto. I can't say for sure. I don't know enough about the club. But when you look at the team on paper, you're seeing a lot of talented players. Uh, you know, of course, it all circles around Pozuelo over there. Uh, and then needing to have another striker, whether it is Io Akinola, who has, uh, he's, what, he's Canadian international, I believe. Yep. And then uh, over on the other wing, I, I'm blanking on his name now, too, but we talked about him at the at the beginning of the show. It was uh, uh, Osorio. Soteldo. So, so, well, Soteldo, too, of course. So, yeah, Jefferson Soteldo, a designated player. And then Osorio, another uh, Canadian international. Uh, that team talent. actually... It's got a lot of talent on this team. And then you're looking at the fullbacks, too. You know, Richie Larea and Kamara Lawrence, those are two very good fullbacks. 
And, uh, you know, they're stacked as well when it comes to goalkeepers. You know, maybe they don't have top elite goalkeepers, but they have very solid MLS-level goalkeepers. To see this club uh, and where they are on the standings, it's just a bit of a head-scratcher, but I got to look towards the front office and the coaching and say, maybe this isn't a good team when they come together. And, you know, the sum of their parts is not equal to uh, the quality of the individual players in this case. Uh, talking coaching, um, James Downing wanted to know, thoughts on Pineda at Atlanta. Uh, I'll, I'll kick this off real quick. I don't know a whole lot about Pineda. I think that it's a safe move by Atlanta. Uh, it's you know, They needed to do something, maybe keep it in-house as far as uh, it, or in league. You, you want to stay MLS. MLS is a very uh, difficult league for new coaches and new players alike to adapt to. Uh, I think Pineda was a smart decision. Do I think that it was a good one? I, I, time will tell. I don't know how, how successful he's going to be, but we know that Pineda is coming from a successful organization. Uh, Sean, do you have any other takes on, on Pineda? Yeah, I like it. I mean, Atlanta has really, really dug into the international um, search to bring in coaches in the past, and they hit it out of the park with Tata Martino, uh, yeah. and then they didn't with Frank DeBoer or Gabriel mm-hmm. Heinze. Um, and I think now they've made a smart decision, a non-Atlanta-like decision to bring someone in from MLS and bring someone in from the Seattle Sounders, who have been consistently one of the best teams in the league since they've come into the league. Um, so to bring someone that has been an assistant there, I think, for five seasons, um, that's a lot of experience in MLS. And, you know, he's a guy that is, was an international from Mexico. So he he checks a lot of boxes um, and he knows the league and he came from a very good coaching staff. I think it was a very smart move from Atlanta. Uh, and I expect it to pay off with the improved performances from them. Um, and it was very much a shift in direction from what they've done with their past coaching hires. And I, I think it was a smart one. And the last question we got here from James Downing. Is Tejan actually going to leave? Do these seem like oddly protracted negotiations to you? Uh, Sean, do you want to take this? Yeah, I think he's definitely going to leave. Um, it's just yeah. a matter of when. Well, I think it's not a matter of when. I think it's going to be in January. Um, it's just a matter of when the deal gets signed. Uh, it doesn't seem oddly protracted to me. I mean, the transfer windows in Europe is open. Uh, in Germany, it's open till the end of August. I think in, in Belgium, it probably is too. Um, so there's, you know, a couple of weeks in which to get a deal done. And I think Bruce Arena knows what he wants and the Revs know what he wants and, and they're willing to wait um, and push for it. And as, as teams is closer to the deadline, I think um, they're taking a calculated risk because maybe some teams will find somebody else to go after, but I think they'll also find some teams that are more desperate as the window gets closer to closing to kind of make a splash and, and bring somebody in. So it, it doesn't surprise me that it's being dragged out a bit. And I think one way or another, Tejan's leaving in January. Um, I'd be very surprised if he wasn't. The only way that doesn't happen is if um, the worst case scenario, which almost happened in this game, Tejan gets a serious injury because Tejan, I think, got stepped on in this game and, and looked like it might have been bad, but fortunately was able to con- continue and play on. Um, but that is the risk with the protracted negotiations is that, you know, Tejan gets hurt and then his value goes down a lot and you haven't locked in a price. Um, that is that is the one risk of, of kind of having this protracted, but it doesn't surprise me. And I think one way or another, he's gone in January. I don't have much to add on that. I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. I, the only thing that matters is, or the only thing we're looking forward to is what, what country is he going to? What team is he going to? Uh, I, I know Bruges is involved and uh, they get a lot of Champions League play. It would be nice to see it go to a team like that. Uh, maybe have him develop even further before maybe eventually landing at, a, at one of the big clubs in Europe. Uh, but right now he's definitely on his way there. Uh, and I would be surprised if nothing's announced in the, over the next week, to be honest. Um, Josh Nye over on Twitter 
wants to talk about a player we haven't talked about yet. He says, thoughts on Tristison taking corners. I thought he's been the best corner kick taker since Heel's absence. And uh, at first, I was a little bit uh, apprehensive about seeing Tristison take corners. I thought maybe against uh, Philly, he wasn't that great. Uh, but he maybe was the best corner taker of the Revs uh, available players. And then last night, I thought that he was uh, not fantastic, but you know, very solid. Uh, he did a, he did a good job, but still, uh, no goals resulted from uh, from corner kick. So, eh. <laughs> well, you would say it's it's hard it's hard to say you have to get a goal to be successful on corner kicks. But I would like to see something coming from a set piece somewhere, uh, and that didn't happen yet. Do you have a you have a take? I'm sorry, you were going. Well, no, I was going to say it's also zero expected goals from set pieces other than the penalty kick. So you know, none of those crosses led to even you know chances for other mm. teammates to that were you know considered dangerous. So um, is he the best corner kick taker since Gill's absence or since Heel's absence? Yes, um, but the bar is very low because Tommy McNamara did a really poor job on set pieces in the last game. Um, I, you know, I thought Tristan's service was good enough, but it wasn't great. Um, so <laughs> from what we've seen, he's the best option, but I, I don't I don't see him out there and think that, it, you know, it's a real dangerous threat. I thought some of his corner kicks were kind of too looping, they were, you know, high up in the air and and kind of slow as opposed to more driven that can be more dangerous and, you know, gave people time to set up. Um, but they were better than McNamara's. Um, <laughs> so, so I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. I, I think regardless of who it is, it's a big drop off from, from Carly's heel. And, um, you know, Tristison may be the best option they have other than Carly's heel, but I, I, I don't think he's that dangerous. I love that you come in here with the statistics of zero expected goals from, uh, from the corners. I came in here with the eye test and saying, yeah, they looked pretty. So uh, <laughs> he, they were pretty, pretty corners. Uh, he could put the ball in the air and uh, he can curl it a little bit. Got past the first uh, event. So that's that's better than uh, what we saw from McNamara a few times. <laughs> that's step number one, right? So uh, in, in my opinion, he was doing good until you brought out the stats. Uh, so now he's, I guess I'm going to knock him down a peg in my book when I, when I hear that number. I uh, did not know that, so. Uh, but thank you, Josh, for that question. I like that. That was a good one. Let's move on to uh, Traeger Girardi. I'm, I apologize for that uh, pronunciation. Traeger, uh, when I said uh, I said earlier that James Downing was getting the most out of his Twitter account, Traeger just dropped us off with uh, with five questions here. So let's run through them really quick. See if we can do this. Uh, is this the best backline in the league? Hypothetically, if the Revs host MLS Cup, could they realistically sell it out? So that was actually two questions in one. Maybe you had. Six questions in there, but let's start out. Is this the best backline in the league? Yes or no? Um, I, you know, I don't. I I have trouble answering this questions because I I don't know who I would say is the best backline in the league, Seattle? but yeah, maybe maybe they do have a good backline, although they've had a lot of injuries. But when healthy, I, I could see Nashville. that. Nashville. <laughs> Nashville. Nashville has the probably the best defense because of what, the way they play. I don't know if it's yep. necessarily the talent in the back line, just the way they set up. Um, it's this is a tough one for me. I, the Revs defense has been playing really, really well lately. Um, the fullbacks have been really good. The center backs have been good. Um, I, I, I still think Andrew Farrell makes some mistakes. I don't know. I I don't know. I could I could make this argument. I think, but. Um, this is a tough one for me that I feel like I wasn't prepared enough for because I, I don't have another team to point to as the best defense. Um, and there's been enough mistakes by the Revs backline earlier on in the season. 
um, that I still have trouble going and, and saying, you know, even when they've had a pretty good run the past few games, that this is the best back line in the league. So I, I love that you're attempting to 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 go with this because uh, I read the question and my instinct was no, not a chance. Uh, and you're going with this end that you could probably make a case for it. So uh, maybe there is more to it than than what I thought. Uh, I, I love that this question came in and now it has uh, stirred up my brain a little bit. Uh, but Traeger went on and says, hypothetically, if the Revs host MLS Cup, could they realistically sell it out? And we had a little bit of dialogue about this before we jumped onto the podcast. Uh, Sean, I know that you think they could sell it out. Uh, is, is there any specific reason why? Uh, what are, what's, your, what's your opinion based on? Yeah, I mean, I, I was in the stands back in 2002 when they had 61,000 people and, you know, so about 5,000 short of a sellout for MLS Cup 2002. Um, I think interest in the revs is higher now than it was then. But then there's two factors. So based on that in a vacuum, I think, yes. But then there's two factors that are working against this compared to 2002. A, the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. you know, who... So in a hypothetical situation where there's no pandemic, I think the revolution could sell us out. But I think, you know, there's a lot of people in New England that are hesitant to go to a stadium with 66,000 people in it in a pandemic. And I I don't think the pandemic, not to be a downer, I don't think it's going to be over by MLS Cup. Um, And in fact, you know, the the fall could be difficult. I don't know. Um, So that's that's a, a factor that makes me say maybe not and then the other thing too is when you talk about mls cup 2002 they knew that was going to be in foxborough since the beginning of the year they'd sold a ton of t- ton of tickets before they even knew who the teams were so there was already a good solid base to build upon um and then you know from from there they sold more tickets when you found out the revs were going to be in it um whereas this one you know there's probably only a couple weeks before mls cup when you know it's going to be in foxborough to sell tickets so um all things being equal in a vacuum no pandemic i think yes the revolution could realistically sell it out I think there's too many kind of factors going into this year in particular where they probably come up a little bit short. Yep. Uh, my opinion was that uh, they would not be able to sell it out. And that's more based on the fact that week in and week out, the revs are getting maybe 13 to 15,000 uh, uh, on average. And uh, it, there's definitely, you know, midweek games that really bring that number down, I would say. But uh, with the way this team is performing, we've seen, years where I think their attendance has been better and the team has been significantly worse because I don't think any team has been maybe as good as this team is. So every year before this, basically, uh, if you want to look at the attendance records, when was it back in 2013 or so, I feel like we were getting around 18,000 on average per game. And uh, that's a pretty big difference. And then, of course, 2014, the went on uh, to MLS Cup uh, different, of course, scenario with that MLS Cup, and uh, that was in LA, so not able to sell tickets and, and have a comparison. But uh, no, I'm gonna just say no. I don't think that they realistically could, but uh, I wouldn't also say that that it's impossible to do. Uh, Trigger goes on and says, uh, "Can the Revs keep up this pace to beat LAFC's record for most points?" I know we talked about this again. Uh, last week, and as long as the Revs keep winning, I guess this question is going to keep coming up. Uh, There's making a better case uh, for every win that they get. Sean, do you think that they are going to beat uh, LAFC's record? I'm still on the no side of this one, but like, like you said, they are making a better case every week. A win in Toronto without you know Carly's heel is a is a good result for the Revolution that makes this seem more possible. But I'm I'm still very much in the boat that you know 
Bruce is a, a practical coach. And if the revolution lock up that number one seed early and lock up that supporter shield early, you know, it's time to rest Carly's heel. Uh, assuming he's back by then, it's time to rest Matt Foster. It's time to rest Andrew Farrell. And if they take some losses because of that and don't break LAFC's records, but are hundred percent healthy for the playoffs, that is the way to go. And I expect that's what to happen. Um, you know, is it impossible? Absolutely not. But I, I just, I think that the bigger thing is staying healthy for the playoffs and at the pace they're going, they're going to lock up the top seed, you know, a few weeks in advance. And at that point, you go to keep your players healthy, not to go for, you know, some record that's nice on paper. But, you know, nobody's going to care if the Revolution finish the season with 73 points and then don't make MLS Cup. I think I think the the much bigger goal is to be healthy for the playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm still saying no. There's still a lot more games to be played. 14 more more matches to go a lot against uh, quality opponents. So it's going to be a really tough, tough feat. Uh, if they do, I would applaud them. But again, as you know, to your point, Sean, it's uh, it's nothing more than a, a consolation prize if, if they can't lift a cup. Uh, Trigger says, talk about the intangible things that Buxa does to help this team. Uh, yes, he was brought in to score goals, but he does far more and gives his all for the full 90. And of course, we did talk about Buxa a bit uh, in the opening, uh, and Shad, you mentioned it as well that you know maybe he's get, giving it a bit too much, throwing his body into uh, dangerous tackles, and it's been now two weeks in a row where he's been hit in the head. Um, there really is a lot that you could say about how how much Buxa does off the ball that really benefits this team, the way that he's looking to just advance the attack and also drop back defensively and help out where needed. Uh, I I could I have a lot of praise. For, for the way Adam Buxa plays, but I still want to see him hit the back of the net more often. Sean, uh, what are your thoughts? Do you have anything else to add on Buxa? No, I, I completely agree with you. I, we, we both talked about that the finishing still needs to get better, um, but he's doing everything else well, and he's been doing it a lot better, I think, over the past few months than he was before that. And he's combining with Gustavo Bo really well. His hold-up play is really good. He's winning the aerial duels. He's giving this team a lot. Um, you know, again, the finishing needs to get better. The confidence when he's about to shoot needs to get better. I think sometimes he takes too many touches rather than get the shot off. And those are things that as a striker need to be better. Um, like you said, because the revolution are winning less of that is called out. You know, he scored eight goals. That's a, a pretty decent number, but he's missed a lot more. Um, so yeah, I think his, there's a lot of great intangibles that Buxa brings. Um, but I think we are talking less about those and more about the misses if the revolution aren't winning. Like, like you said earlier, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he was very involved in last night's game. He had 52 touches. Uh, so for an attacker, that's a pretty good number to see. Uh, one thing that was I would point out, his pass success, only 67%. Uh, 18 successful passes out of a total 20 cent, 27 attempted passes. Uh, you could definitely use to see some improvement there. Uh, and, you know, if you're seeing improvement there, you're possibly seeing uh, some more expected uh, goals as well or expected assists uh, when it comes to Books's personal stats. Um, Trigger goes on and says, is it time to sign Lerunowitz? And answers his own question and says, yes, it is. Sean, do you have any <laughs> anything to ask that comment? There? I mean, I, I kind of wish it had happened in the offseason that you had him on there as your kind of veteran on the bench to to give you some, some minutes at 
you know, either center back or defensive midfield in a in a tight spot. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen now. <laughs> I know I think oh. it's more of a, a more of a joke because he was listening to our uh, podcast this week, which you appreciate our great interview with Jeff Renowitz. If you had a chance to listen to it, I'm I'm a a big fan of of Jeff Renowitz and what he brought to this team in the past. Um, and it would be great to see him still playing. But uh, I don't th- I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but I like the thought. <laughs> uh, thanks for the comment, Trager. We like that a lot. Uh, Corey Kaposha. Um, uh, Corey, I'm so sorry, but you're butchering your last name there. But over on Twitter, uh, will not making a move during the transfer window deadline wind up costing this team down the stretch? And uh, again, this is something that we've talked about. Uh, I don't know if we've necessarily talked about is it going to cost them anything down the stretch? Uh, Sean, do you want to take this first? What are your thoughts? Whether it does or doesn't, I think it was a mistake not to make a move um, because there are you know, one, one or two injuries to a center back away from it costing them. So... Um, you know, do I think it's going to cost them if they're, if they're lucky? No, it won't. Um, but either way, I think it was a mistake not to make a move because, you know, they are relying on luck. They are thin at center back. I think, I think they are, you know, somewhat thin at fullback. Um, we, you know, we have, there's some question marks elsewhere. It's a deep team. There's no question about it. It's a deep team. Um, they're in a much better position than they have been at other times at this point of the year, regardless of not making a moves, but you know, th- there was a lot of time to make a move to make this team just a little bit better. And like we talked about, Bruce Arena said there was someone that they've been looking at for you know, possibly 18 months that they were trying to bring in, um, which tells me that th- that he thought they could make the team better, um, but they didn't get that person. So, you know, again, it, it, if they're lucky, it won't cost them, but it could. And because of that, I think it was a mistake that they didn't do it. Yeah, I- I'm with you on that. And I- I'm not sure if it's going to cost them, but you have a lot of players playing a lot of minutes. And you mentioned it that the, the revs are probably more thin at center back uh, than any other position or that's not what you said, but that's how I'm going to interpret what you said. Uh, the revs are pretty, pretty thin at center back. And if they were going to make a move during the transfer window, my opinion, it would have been for a center back, some sort of defender, maybe someone that could play the six as well, which would have been very beneficial in this current predicament. But uh, I think that they should have at least done something, you can't just, you know, stand pat. In in business, there's a saying, you know, if uh, if you're not growing, you're dying. And, you know, it's kind of the same mindset when you're bringing it into sports. If you're not trying to get better, you're just going to start to get worse. Teams are going to figure you out. They're going to figure out what players you are. They're going to figure out what, what tactics you like to employ. And if you can't bring any curveballs to the table, it's, it's really going to get more difficult down the stretch. I think it was a mistake to not make any additions. Uh, but is it going to cost them? You know, only time is going to be able to answer that one. Uh, David Seville over on Twitter had another question for us, uh, and I like this question as well. Is it wrong to nitpick that the Revs had two shots on target with 36% possession with no heel? It feels wrong, but still concerning. Uh, yeah, that's uh, obviously concerning. I thought that they did a good job linking up most of the time uh, for the bits that I was that I remember seeing of the game, I saw a lot more uh, a lot more possession than thirty six percent. I don't think that number necessarily was telling uh, until you uh, like compared to the eye test, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely concerning. However, on the contrary, they did have uh, more expected goals than Toronto. Granted, a large chunk of that came from Gustavo Bo's penalty. Uh, but yeah, there's there's definitely some concern there. But this team's gritty, and they're they're finding ways to win uh, one way or another. Sean, I'm sure you have something else to say here. There's a lot to dig into on this question. It depends on how you're looking at things. And if you're looking at things the way I'm looking at things, which is 
the Revolution aren't a contender when Carly's heel is out, so that if they can grind out results and keep the pace for the supporter shield, they're doing a really good job, but don't expect them to be dominant. That's what I expect. And and so with that in mind, it's not concerning. They found a way to win. Um, if you're thinking Carly's heel is going to be out long term uh, for a very long time and you're thinking the revolution needs to rely on it without him for a very long time, then it becomes more concerning because, you know, you talk about the expected goals. If you take away the penalty kick, the revolution only had 0.51 expected goals. Um, and I think they earned that penalty kick. I wouldn't say it was a lucky penalty kick. Buxa got himself in a dangerous position, was clearly fouled. Uh, but I don't think the revolution created a lot in this game. Um, you know, they, they needed to be better offensively against this Toronto team. They, I think they had counterattacks where they got into good spots with the final pass or the final shot just wasn't there. Um, so yeah, if, if you think it's going to be a, a long time thing without Carly's heel, um, the fact that they're kind of grinding out results instead of putting teams away or, or looking more dominant is concerning, but in, in my mind, that's what the revs are going to be without Carly's heel. And the fact that they're getting results while not playing necessarily particularly pretty, um, is my expectation, or at least the, the best case scenario in my mind, um, that the, you know they're they're undefeated without Carles Hill. And again, I don't expect the Revolution to put in dominant performances without Carles. My expectation is that Carles will be back. Um, you know, I, I don't know how long from now, but we'll be back in 100% healthy at least while in advance of the playoffs, and that that's going to be the team that's going to be dominant and put teams away. But for right now, this is kind of what I expect the Revs to look like. Yeah, and real quick, uh, John Pilkington over on Twitter also wanted to know about uh, Arnold Tristison, uh, about being in solely for corners and free kicks. Uh, we missed this one earlier, so I just wanted to bring it up right now, John. We did we talked about this, so I don't think we're going to get into it again, but thank you very much for the question. Uh, Cameron over on Discord is going to be our last question that we have tonight. Uh, Sean, I'll throw this over to you. How important is Books's hold-up play to the team's success without heel? Yeah, I mean, very. And it goes back to that point about the 36% possession, um, because I think that the revolution with Carles Hill are, you know, a team that can do a lot more in possession of the ball and have the ball a lot more uh, because of the style they play. And when Carles Hill isn't out there, I think there's going to be more games the revolution are, are, are trailing in the possession count. And in those cases, they need to be able to rely a bit more on long balls to Adam Buxa, where he, you know, can use his hold up play and be kind of a target man. And then the attack can come to him and, and, and flow off of that because Carly's heel isn't out there. So I do think that is very important. And, you know, overall, the the combination of Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa, that, like we talked about earlier, and their chemistry is a lot more important because the two of them need to kind of be creating chances for each other more with Carly's heel out. When Carly's heel is out, they have that focal point to set everybody else up. Um, and I think Adam Buxa needs to be more available for long balls and winning those without him and, and being that hold up. Uh, hold up target man and I think he's doing that pretty well so yeah I think it's it's very important for their success without Carly's heel yeah I agree it's very important I also would say that I think that maybe there needs to be a little bit of uh improvement on Buxa's side so we've talked a lot about how good of a game I think Books has had but if you're playing a hold up position and you're only having 67 percent passing that's uh you're only connecting on two out of three uh plays maybe you're trying to to advance from that hold up position that, that needs to improve. Uh, without heel on the field, this team needs to play more of a hold-up style. Uh, with heel, you're able to, to break out a lot quicker and, and move in transition uh, from defending to attacking really quick. And that's how the Revolution have attained a lot of their success over the season is from that sort of play. And when you don't have a player on the roster who's able to transition the way that heel is and the way that heel is able to see the field and... and be able to distribute the ball 
it's really going to be very reliant on a, a player like Buxa uh, doing some sort of hold-up play. And it's worth noting, I think Gustavo Bo also does a pretty good job every once in a while with his hold-up play, too. Uh, if he gets a, a, a long leading pass uh, that maybe doesn't go anywhere, he does a pretty good job uh, holding that up. So maybe we see a bit more uh, hold-up on on Bo's side as well. But, uh, yeah, it's the whole team in general, the, that hold-up play really should improve if, uh, if this team wants to keep winning without Crowley's heel. I think that's going to be a big concern going forward. Before we end the show, we wanted to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Revolution Recap, and be sure to rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't already. Five stars if you can. And uh, for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Lucas or at Res Revolts. Uh, Sean, where can our listeners follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at Sean Aldonahue. And that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to use discount code REVSRECAP, 15% off your order at Colasso Kits. The Revs do have a midweek match versus DC United, but we'll have another pod for you after the following match when FC Cincinnati comes to Fortress Foxborough. Until then, go Revs. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.